church. Let's continue worship by reading God's word. Today's scripture reading comes from Luke 5, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. If you're using the Blue Pew Bible in front of you, you can turn to page 860. Please stand with me in honor of God's reading God's word. Luke 5, verses 1 through 11. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesareth, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to each other. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, church, it is my privilege to introduce this morning's guest preacher, who has also been serving as the keynote speaker for our church's mission conference over this past weekend. Dr. James Hudson Taylor IV, and by the way, he goes by Jamie, he is the president of China Evangelical Seminary in Taiwan, and in fact, he actually was born and raised in Taiwan. He studied at Morrison Christian Academy. Seattle Pacific University, and Asbury's Theological Seminary. Pastor Taylor also served in the past at Chinese Bible Church of Greater Boston in both the Chinese and English congregations. It's actually the same church that Minister Stanley used to serve in. Uh, he also served in Overseas, Overseas Missionary Fellowship, OMF, and has served extensively for many years in various roles within that organization. And of course, speaking of OMF, that's the organization that was formerly known as China Inland Mission, which, by the way, was founded by Pastor Taylor's great-great-grandfather, the famous Hudson Taylor, the great 19th century missionary to China who helped shape the modern missions movement that we know today. Pastor Taylor is married to Mimi Taylor, who is here this morning as well, and they have three children, James V, uh, Selena, and Joy. Um, and he, he has already been here since Friday, blessing us with his teaching, sharing from his experience, and we have just uh, been so privileged to sit under your teaching and your preaching, and we get another chance this morning. So can we give a warm HCC welcome to Pastor Taylor. Thank you, Pastor Jason, for those very gracious words of welcome. Uh, good morning. Uh, that's a bit weak. <laughs> Good morning. 
It's been a wonderful joy for me, me, my wife, and I to be here at HCC over this past weekend. We arrived from Taiwan about midnight on Thursday, and in the midst of uh, jet lag, which probably most of us, well, during COVID, maybe less so, but probably many of us have experienced in the past, but in the midst of jet lag, it's been a joy to uh, be here this weekend and to be able to participate in HCC's 2023 Mission Conference. Uh, if you were with us this weekend, you will recall that on Friday night, we had uh, the chance of looking at the story of Philip, uh, and there in Acts chapter 8, especially from verse 26 uh, to 40, our thoughts focused upon the mandate for missions, that Philip was called to take the gospel to that very religious Ethiopian eunuch who, in spite or despite his religion and his reverence and his desire to uh, worship God, still nevertheless needed to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we looked that day at the mandate for missions uh, we also had the chance of looking at the method for missions and then, obviously, the message for missions. So three M's, uh, fairly easy to remember, uh, not only for those who hear, but also for me who preaches. Um, and yesterday afternoon, we had the joy of focusing our thoughts on John chapter 9, verse 4. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who has sent me night is coming when we can no longer work. And we focused our thoughts especially on that word work, W-O-R-K, a word, if you're familiar with the Gospel of John, a very important word. It appears some 35 times in its noun form as well as in its verb form. But we uh, looked especially at some of the work of the 21st century. And over the span of about an hour, an hour and a half, it's pretty hard to cover everything, uh, but we looked at seven trends in missions in the 21st century. Uh, we thought of the unfinished task uh, that is still before us. Jesus, prior to his ascension, we're familiar with those words in Matthew chapter 28 that we are called to go to the nations, to the peoples of the world. Because of the lack of time, I didn't have a chance to especially share yesterday afternoon of an opportunity I had to go to Kathmandu in Nepal. We went there to visit, together with Mimi, my wife, we went there to visit some of our CES, China Evangelical Seminary Mission students. Uh, at CES, we have an intercultural missions program, a master's degree, where they do their first year and their third year at school, but that middle year, they have a 10-month practicum when they will actually go onto the mission field and be able to be exposed to a cross-cultural context, to learn another language, to do some ethnographic studies, uh, etc., but we had a chance to go visit some of our students in Nepal. And while we were there, we had the opportunity of meeting a Nepalese pastor. 
One afternoon we went to visit him and he shared just a little bit of the burden that God placed upon his heart to see the gospel proclaimed right across the Himalayan uh, part of the world. He told me about the needs of that part of the world, some 65 million people, 65 million people stretching from the country of Bhutan. Uh, obviously into Nepal, but also including Bangladesh, including India, as well as Pakistan and Afghanistan. 65 million unreached peoples there in that part of the world. And he shared a special burden that he had on his heart for those 65 million people. His prayer was that by 2030, that the Lord would raise up some 20,000 churches in that part of the world. 2030. I asked him, why 2030? And this was his answer to me. He says, by 2030, we will celebrate the 200th anniversary of Jesus stepping into ministry. Well, I'm not sure I would risk my life on that specific date. But nevertheless, I think it's a very profound thing to think about. 2030. 2,000 years, Jesus stepping into ministry for those three short years and then entrusting his disciples, his followers, not only those that followed him then, but throughout the generations, these 2,000 years coming right up to your time and my time. His prayer was that by 2030, there would be 20,000 churches planted right across that part of the world. And it was just a, just a wonderful experience to meet this pastor, to sense the passion that he has uh, for missions, and especially for that part of the world. And that was a story that I wasn't able to tell yesterday afternoon because of the lack of time. But nevertheless, we looked at seven different areas, trends within missions, and I closed with a burden, if you would allow me just to perhaps repeat myself from yesterday afternoon's session. But a burden that the Lord has especially placed on my heart, for I believe, brothers and sisters, especially from a Chinese church context, as we look at missions in the 21st century, it is not only important for the Chinese church to reach out to fellow Chinese, as we would say in Chinese, to reach out to our fellow kinsmen, to reach out to fellow Chinese. And certainly I believe that that is a, a, a mission that is entrusted to the Chinese church, but yet we must not limit ourselves to that alone. And I believe in the 21st century, when it comes to missions, when it comes to cross-cultural missions, the Chinese church must not be absent. The Chinese church must not be absent. And so I pray for HCC and pray that the Lord would continue to lead us forward. Mission conferences don't serve as the end. And so this morning is not the end, but rather it is the beginning. And that in this coming year, the Lord would indeed help us as a church to be even more involved and engaged in missions. And so I want to thank Pastor Jason and uh, the church for giving Mimi and I this opportunity to be with you over this uh, weekend. And we certainly will remember you in prayer, trusting that the Lord would continue to bless and to make us 
a blessing. This morning, I want to turn our thoughts to the passage that was just read for us, Luke chapter 5, from verse 1 to 11. And I'd like to use as my theme, from success to significance, from success to significance. I must confess as I even begin that I am plagiarizing that title. Uh, The theme of our conference is across generations, and so I am using something that my father wrote, and in fact, an article that he wrote entitled From Success to Significance, an article he wrote in August of 2001, some 20 years ago, and this is how he begins this article entitled From success to significance. He says, you made it, but at what a price? How can you ever forget the tremendous personal effort put toward achieving academic and professional success? The long hours spent in the library and lab, or the weekends and holidays sacrificed for research and writing while others perhaps enjoyed their social life, sports events, and time with family. What a grueling personal process it was, but you made it. To be sure, there is a lot of encouragement and support from your parents. Maybe pressure, too. They they had their expectations and willingly sacrificed for your success. Actually, you probably owe a great debt of gratitude to your parents, wife, or husband, and family. Without them, what you have achieved would not have been possible. In your pathway to success, you may never have paused to think how much you also owe God. Your home, your health, your good mind and doors of opportunity are all God-given. In writing acknowledgments in his excellent book, The Five Temptations of a CEO, Patrick Lisoni concluded, of most importance, thanks to God for all I have and am. Remember how God told his disciples, apart from me, you can do nothing. And then this is what he says, my father that is, still When you have made it and success came, why didn't it bring satisfaction? This is a question many Christian professionals are struggling with. Is it not because your success and my success lacks significance? How can I move from success to significance. Well, he goes on to write this article highlighting three things that lead us from success to significance. Stewardship, surrender, and servanthood. From success to significance. And so that's the title of my message. Uh, How is that for across generations? Using my father's article as a title for my message. The story that we read, Luke chapter 5, verse 
1 to 11 is a familiar one. Of course, if you're familiar also with the Gospels, you'll notice or you will have noted, no doubt, that there are great similarities between this account in Luke chapter 5 and then at the very end of Jesus' ministry in John chapter 21. We will not take time to compare, to contrast those two stories, very, very familiar, different themes that come out not only in Luke chapter 5, but then also in John chapter 21. But I want to focus our thoughts in the moments that are before us on these 11 verses. And I'd like to look at these 11 verses from three aspects. And from these three aspects to think together again with us this morning of how we too can move from success to significance. Not that there is anything wrong with success, or may I say, earthly success, but if eternal significance is not a part of our striving for earthly success, then in many ways I think we are all the more poor. For I believe that as followers of Jesus Christ, we are not called merely to strive for earthly success, And if the Lord does grant us that, may it be our desire above all else in our lives to strive for eternal significance, that our lives would have eternal value to them, that what we do here on this earth would have eternal value to it. And I believe that in these 11 verses, we have three key things that can help us move from earthly success to eternal significance. But perhaps before looking at these three things, as I have read this passage over and over again, what actually has often drawn my attention is these first words found in verse 1. I'm reading not from the ESV, but from the NASB. I trust that's okay. I think I'm not a heretic by reading another translation. It's okay, Pastor Jason. Thank you very much for your approval. I got the thumbs up from Pastor Jason. But I wonder if you've ever noticed here in verse 1 how Luke begins this account. He tells us that there was a great multitude pressing around him, listening or desiring to listen to the word of God. You remember that Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is actually also called the lake of Tiberias, as well as the lake of Galilee. And as he gathered there, or as he stood there, a multitude were pressing around him with a great desire to hear and to listen to the word of God as it is spoken or as it was spoken by Jesus. And I've always been impressed, brothers and sisters, with that description of the multitude pressing around Jesus with a desire above all else to hear the word of God being proclaimed. I went and studied this word pressing around Jesus. And it's a very actually strong word in the original Greek. It is used several times by Luke, not only in the gospel of Luke, but then also actually in the Acts of the Apostles. And I noticed especially there in chapter 27 of the Acts of the Apostles, Luke 
is recording a boat journey that Paul had to Rome. And along that, along his journey, he encountered a tremendous storm. And this, and this storm and the wind and the waves were assailing the ship upon which Paul and his companions were on. The wind and the waves were assailing the ship. Actually, that's the same word that is used here for the crowds pressing around Jesus, desiring, desirous of hearing the word of God. And I've often, as I've reflected upon this verse, asked myself the question, is that what we see today around us? Do we see this kind of hunger? Do we see this kind of desire to hear the word of God being proclaimed? I'll never forget the first time I had the chance of going to China. It was in 1983. And I remember over the three weeks that we were in China visiting places that were very significant to my family, including the province of Henan. We went to the very city that my father, together with my aunts and uncles, his siblings were born in. We went to Qifu in Shandong. We went to Yantai. We went to see the school in which my father, together again with his siblings, were incarcerated, were imprisoned, were interned by the Japanese during Japanese, the Japanese War. We went to Zhenjiang to try to find my great-great-grandfather and my great-great-grandmother's tombstone. We had the chance, obviously, of going to Beijing. We had the chance of going to Shanghai. Many, many memories, but one of the memories that has often stuck in my mind was over those three weekends, every Sunday we had the chance of going to church, and when we arrived at church, we very quickly found if you did not arrive early, you would not find a seat in the sanctuary. Actually, to be honest with you, we felt quite bad because here, is, here are us, 11 foreigners showing up on the doorstep of the church. And of course, being in a very polite kind of a society, they ushered us to the very front row and they asked those who were sitting on the front row, who no doubt had been there probably for half an hour, 45 minutes, even an hour so that they could get a good seat. They asked them to, to step aside to allow us to sit on the front row. And I'll never forget the hunger and the desire that people had to hear the word of God pressing into the church. Well, if you followed anything of the Asbury, some call it revival, some call it awakening, some call it a visitation of the Holy Spirit. But this past February 8th and right throughout the following few weeks, probably many of us had the chance to see it either on social media, maybe some even here went to uh, Wilmore, Kentucky, which is in the middle of nowhere, Kentucky. Uh, and I can say that because I graduated from the seminary right across the street from Asbury University. But even on social media, if you had the chance to see just some of the hunger that people had to experience God in their lives and how they crowded into Hughes Auditorium, an auditorium that sat or sits only about a thousand people and, and it couldn't even begin to contain all the people that flooded into that small town that only had two stoplights. And over the span of some two weeks or three weeks to see the hunger that people had, 
for the word of God. Brothers and sisters, that what is Luke talking about here? That the crowds were pressing around Jesus to hear the word of God. And again, may I just say, or may I ask, do we have that same hunger for the word of God? Oh, that God would, his spirit would work in such a way, not only in our church, but right across this nation. And would bring countless of people back to him. To give a hunger for God's word. Pressing around Jesus to hear the word of God. And so that's the context that we have here. That's the context that we have. But then very quickly, the three things that we will notice here in these some 15 verses. I want us to first of all notice that Jesus desired to use the boat of Peter to proclaim his word. To use Peter's boat to proclaim his word. There in verse 2 it tells us that as Jesus stood by the lake of Gennesaret in verse 2 he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake. But the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And of course, if you're familiar with this story, you will know that these four brothers, or two sets of brothers, Andrew and Peter, James and John, these were the fishermen that are referred to here. So Jesus saw these two boats lying by the edge of the lake, but the fishermen, Andrew, Peter, James and John, had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. Verse 3 goes on to tell us that he, that is Jesus, got into one of the boats, which was Simon, and asked him to put out a little away from the land, and then notice this phrase. And he sat down and began teaching the multitude from the boat. Uh, if we go back into Scripture, it's interesting to note that often it was the case that the teacher was the one who sat down, and the listeners were the ones who stood. And somehow we have this all twisted around. I'm standing, and you all are sitting. Uh, maybe we should swap it all around, because standing will prevent you from falling asleep. Uh, but anyway, we won't try to change our traditions here. Jesus sat down on Peter's boat and began to teach. If we read this passage through carefully, we will notice actually that this word boat appears a number of times in this passage, actually six times in all. And of course, the text tells us that this boat represented the profession of Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And in essence, what we have here is Jesus' desire to use Peter's profession or an instrument in Peter's profession to be able to proclaim the word of God. You know, as I've often read through this passage, I've wondered what was Peter's response when Jesus made this request to ask him to set his boat out a little way from the shore so that he might sit down on his boat and proclaim and teach the word of God. We're actually told a number of things here that might help us understand maybe something of Peter's thoughts during, at that request. 
We're told later on, you'll remember that they had actually fished all evening and they had caught nothing. So I imagine Peter was probably not in a very good mood. It had been a long night and he was very, very tired. And, and certainly it wasn't at this point in time that, that he was interested in entertaining any sense of doing something for somebody else. Not only so, we're told here that they were washing the nets. And so they were busy about something else. And it was at a very inconvenient time, if I can use that phrase. At a very inconvenient time that Jesus' request came to them, came to Peter. While I also noticed that there wasn't just Peter's boat, there was another boat. James and John's boat. And I wondered whether Peter thought, hey, look, why do you pick my boat? Why don't you pick their boat? You know, that happens often in missions, doesn't it? Lord, here am I, but send them. Here is my family, but send Jamie Taylor's family. After all, every generation seems to be involved in missions. Well, we're not told any of those, so you'll allow me to just use my sanctified imagination. But Jesus' desire was to use Peter's boat, his profession, to proclaim his word. Yesterday afternoon, if you were here, we actually highlighted this as a very important part of missions in the 21st century. For right across the world today, we see many places where missionaries in that very traditional sense of the word are unable to go. Unable to get a missionary visa to openly go to those countries to share about Jesus Christ. Actually, just in Asia alone, there are some 1.8 billion people who live in places where missionary visas cannot be obtained. And yet I want to tell you that those places are not closed places, but rather yesterday afternoon we used a phrase you might be familiar with. We talked about those places as being creative access nations. And they're creatively accessed by your boat and my boat, by your profession and my profession. In 1996, Mimi and I, our family, had the joy of moving to Hong Kong and to be involved in a ministry of actually mobilizing Christian professionals to serve right across Asia. We did a whole host of work, but one of the testimonies, one of the stories that has always stuck out in our mind was a work that we had among a very poor people group, a minority group, well below the poverty level. They were sheep herders by trade. The local government asked us if we could help them in this task of somehow lifting them out of poverty. Originally, actually, the government's suggestion was that we would donate money to these poor shepherds and thus help them out of poverty. But we knew that giving money to the poor actually does not solve their problem. We might be helping them, but actually we might be hurting them in the long run. And so we prayed about it a little more and sensed God leading us in a completely different, in a completely different direction. That we would actually loan sheep to these farmers. 
And then we would find people who were experts in sheep farming. We would find uh, Christians, uh, agriculturalists. We would find Christian veterinarians to come alongside these poor uh, sheep farmers to help them as they took care of the sheep that we loaned to them. We loaned them 20 ewes for two years, at the end of which they would have to return to us 20 ewes. Actually, if a ewe is a healthy ewe, uh, that ewe is not Y-O-U, but E-W-E, a female sheep. If it is a healthy you, it can actually have two lambs per year. And so over two years, each you could have four sheep lambed. Sheeps, little sheeps. And at the end of two years, they would have to return to us 20 sheep. And then we would in turn loan them to another 50 families. And so this first initial project saw 50 families receive 20 ewes loaned to them. And over those two years, we journeyed together with them. Actually, when we started this project, we very quickly learned that none of us knew anything about sheep farming. And so you'll gather, you'll guess where we had to go to look for sheep farmers. We went to New Zealand which I believe have more sheep than they have people. And I'll never forget meeting a couple, Peter Fikert, Peter and Marilyn Fikert. They had been sheep farmers for over 30 years. They had a great desire to serve the Lord, but they never seemed to be able to link their boat, their profession, to missions until we came knocking. And we said to Peter and Marilyn, would you come and partner together with us? And they were excited about this opportunity. And so every year they would spend a considerable amount of time with us in Asia, serving among these people, helping them know how to care for their sheep, these 20 ewes that we lent them. I'll never forget when we had the sheep handover at the end of two years. Just imagine with me, 1,000 sheep coming into a huge courtyard. And of course, very much like the local government, it was a big fanfare, and so there were many, many people, literally hundreds of people, a part of this sheep handover. And I'll never forget, in the middle of that handover, an official stood up and he said something that I'll never forget. We were standing behind him. He stood up and he turned around and he pointed to us. And he said, actually, these people have done what we should have done, but we were not able to do it. You're probably asking why they have come and have worked this way amongst us. And then this is what he said. And incidentally, I did not mention the fact that it was in a communist country. And this communist member stood up and he said this, I want you to know that these people have come to serve us in the spirit of Christ. If you can understand Mandarin Chinese. They have come to serve 
in the spirit of Christ. My friends, brothers, and sisters, if we are to move from success to significance, God wants to use your boat. Would you allow him to sit on your boat and proclaim the word of God? And so that's the first point. Boats proclaiming the word of God. Very quickly, not only do we see boats proclaiming the word of God, but we read down further and we see how Jesus used their nets to portray or to display his power. Jesus used their nets to display his power. Notice with me beginning there in verse 4. After Jesus had finished his teaching, he said to Simon, he said, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we looked hard, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but at your bidding, at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of sheep and their nets began to break and they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And when they came and filled both the boats so that they began to, and they filled both the boats so that they began to sink. Verse 8 then says, but when Peter, Simon Peter saw this, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, depart from me for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. There's so much in these verses that we can highlight, but just let me very quickly point out several things to us this morning. As a part of our desire to move from success to significance. Jesus wanted to use their nets to display his power. Notice with me, first of all, that their obedience was tested. Their obedience was tested. Peter says to Jesus, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. But then notice this next phrase. But at your bidding, at your word, at your rhema in the Greek, at your bidding, I will let down the nets. Obedience. Obedience to God's word. But not only obedience to God's word, their faith was challenged as well, wasn't it? He tells them to put out into the deep water. A test of faith. A test of faith. Well, my wife and I, Mimi, we've gone through something of that test of faith going out into the deep water some three years ago when we suddenly got a call from China Evangelical Seminary asking us whether we would be willing to come and serve as the president of this seminary. In our wildest imaginations, we had never imagined that we would have to do something like this. And I remember when the search committee first came to us and said, would you be willing to consider doing this? And my immediate response was them. I said, there's absolutely no way. And there are two reasons for that. The first is my father was actually the founding president of this, this seminary. Of course, there were seven presidents between him and I. But I'll never forget. And my father said much to me that I'll never remember. But somehow this stuck in my mind because when he handed that baton over to the next president, the second president, Reverend Dr. Timothy Lin, Lin Dao Liang Yuan Zhang, he said to 
President Timothy Thin, that once this uh, Timothy Lin, as soon as this baton is given over to the Chinese, it should never return to foreigners. And for some reason, I remembered that. And so that was my first response. Absolutely no way. We're going backward by asking another foreigner to do this. I said, secondly, I said, I've never worked in a seminary before. Sure, I went to seminary, but going to seminary and working in a seminary are two completely different things. Well, you know what their response to me was. They said, we'll treat you like a Chinese. And I said, it's precisely because I'm not a Chinese, thus you treat me like a Chinese. For if I was a Chinese, you wouldn't need to treat me like a Chinese. But we prayed about it. And it very much was going out into the deep. Very much going out into the deep. A challenge of obedience. A stretching of our faith. Allowing God to manifest his power. Notice how they, 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 they netted. I'm not sure that's quite a word, but I just invented if it wasn't. Their nets were filled with fish, so much so that the boats began to sink. And so God's power was manifested. But I want to very quickly also draw our attention to Peter's response to the manifest power of Jesus Christ. What he says there to Jesus after seeing this, this net full of fish, he fell at Jesus' feet. And as I studied this this morning again or reflected upon it, man, if I was Peter, I would say, hey, Jesus, can you become one of my partners? What a deal. We searched, we fished all night and didn't catch anything. Man, if you're with us, this is a great partnership. We'll give you 90% of the share. If every time we come out, we get two net full of shit, of, of sheep, uh, sheep, sheep, fish. But that's not what Peter says. He falls at Jesus' feet, and he says to him, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Could I just draw your attention very, very quickly to two times we read Peter speaking to Jesus in this passage. Earlier on, we see him saying to Jesus, Master, could be translated as teacher. And yet here in verse 8, he no longer refers to Jesus merely as master, but rather he refers to him as Lord. L-O-R-D. Hudson Taylor, my great-great-grandfather, once said this, if Jesus is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. If Jesus is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. The great Southern Baptist preacher Adrian Rogers once made the observation that in the New Testament, Jesus is referred to Savior 24 times, but Jesus is referred to Lord 433 times. Times. That's significant, my friends. 
Jesus as Savior, absolutely essential. But brothers and sisters, we are saved to serve. Lord. If he is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. Well, my time is well past. I apologize for that. Could I just leave you with one last point and then a story? Jesus wanted to use Peter's boat to proclaim his word. Jesus wanted to use Peter's nets to display his power. Jesus wanted to use Peter's life to fulfill his mission. Those closing words are so poignant, aren't they? Jesus said to Simon, do not fear. Courage, do not fear. For now on you will not be catchers of fish. For once you catch a fish, it dies. But rather you will be fishers of men. And somebody once remarked, there is nothing we can take to heaven except one thing, and that is the souls of those we've had the joy of being a part of bringing to Christ. Let me just say that again before it goes over our heads. There's nothing we can take to heaven. Actually, in my bag, I carry around every day is the watch of my father. When he passed away in 2009, it didn't go with him. It sits in my bag. We're not going to take anything from this earth. But yet, there is one that we can take, and that is the souls of those whom we've been involved in sharing and leading to Christ. Those will be those that we meet in heaven. And that, my friends, is moving from earthly success to eternal significance. But then this story closes with this. They left everything and followed him. I close very, very briefly with the story of Robert Jaffrey, probably unknown to most of us. Robert Jaffrey was one of the leading missionaries of the Christian Missionary Alliance Church in the province of Guangxi in the southern part of China. Robert Jaffrey came from Canada, called to the Lord, called by the Lord to go to China to serve. This was back in the 1920s, just about a century ago. He went to Guangxi and very quickly learned the Cantonese dialect, which is actually not only spoken in Hong Kong, not only spoken in Guangdong, but also spoken in Guangxi, the province right beside Guangdong province. He became very, very fluent in this language. Suddenly one day, Robert Jaffrey received an invitation from the Standard Oil Company. It's a U.S. company that still exists today inviting Robert Jaffrey to become the head of their Greater Sino office. They wanted to establish an office in Hong Kong, and they needed somebody who could speak Cantonese. 
And so they invited Robert Jaffrey, and in that letter they included an offer, a very significant salary package for Robert Jaffrey, to which without even giving it a thought, Robert, Robert Jaffrey responded by saying, no, thank you. No, thank you. It wasn't long after that that the Standard Oil Company sent Robert Jaffrey a second letter doubling their offer inviting him to become the head of their Sino office in Hong Kong. And again, without even thinking about it, Robert Jaffrey responded and said to them, no, thank you. And then a telegram came with three words, Jaffrey, any cost. And this is how Robert Jaffrey responded to the U.S. Standard Oil Company. He said, your salary is big, but your job is too small. I put before you, brothers and sisters, that is going from success to significance. That is going from earthly success to eternal significance. And so I close with my three points. Jesus wants to sit on your boat and my boat to proclaim his word. Jesus wants to use your nets and my nets to display his power. And Jesus wants your life and my life to fulfill his mission. Not earthly success, my friends, but eternal significance. Father, we thank you for this morning. The time has gone quickly, but your word is a powerful word for us. And here at the end, not the end, but the beginning of a new year, committing ourselves afresh to the great commission of Jesus Christ. Lord, my prayer for this church, HCC, my prayer for this congregation, Heavenly Father, would be that each one here would be willing to give our boats to you to proclaim your word, to allow our nets to display your power, and to use our lives to fulfill your mission. Lord, let our lives not be about earthly success, though there is nothing necessarily inherently wrong with earthly success. But Father, instead let our lives be about eternal significance. We'll be careful to give you all the praise and the glory, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.